This week on Invasion of the Podcast, we're talking Maya Garona. We're coming to get you, Barbara. And did we survive our trip through the boneyard? We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of Earth, attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we're trying to take over the world one listener at a time. I am Paul. Did that zombie just get his head chopped off by a helicopter blade? Stedman. <laughs> and to my left is Joe the Gonk Peters. The Gonk. Start calling you Gonk. Like, I, like, like Gronk. Gonk. You should have yeah. found that, uh, that I song. I should have found that music, yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, the, this this week we're going to be talking about uh, the, the first three Romero Dead movies. I hope you guys enjoyed our Critters talk last week. I had a lot of fun watching those movies. And a lot of fun watching these movies, too. But... We have other things to talk about first. Uh, first, I just want to mention, Monday night, I went to the Cedar Lee to go see Major League uh, because the Capitol Theater was sold out. That made me really happy. Even though it was a $1 per person mm-hmm. to go, the Capitol was sold out. Cedar Lee was sold out as well. So that was a lot of fun. Um, funnily enough, though, if so you wait, bought the tickets you online, get... okay. if you bought them online, they're $1 each with a $1 surcharge. So <laughs> it was a 100, sorry, 100% increase to buy a ticket. So I was like, I'll buy four tickets. I could spare the $8. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So wait, where did you go see it at? Cedarly. Oh, you saw it at Cedarly. Yeah. So you, you caught the, you caught part of the sold out. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, Cause like, cause the capital was already sold out by the time uh, my coworker and I were talking about it. So then I went online and saw that there were still tickets available for the Cedarly. I just bought them that morning. So I didn't want to wait. Um, so yeah, we went and it was, uh, it was funny seeing a bunch of, of people wearing the Cleveland Indians gear in the theater. That was fun. But everybody cheering for all the successes Cleveland was having on the screen. Yeah. It's like, you guys have seen this movie before. Right. But every time something happened, it was like, that's happening for us. It's like. Right. I don't but, think nobody yeah. understands that. Like, it's it's hard to explain. Like, I still get emotional in that last act where, you know, they're at the, I think it's the American League Championship. Well, it's, it the, it's the division because it's the division. one one game playoff between them and the Yankees, right? Between, so, yeah. yeah. And, uh. Like the music and everything, and even you know, like all the the stuff like that you want to happen that movie magic with Vaughn striking Haywood out and like uh, yeah. And, well, the thing it's like I had not seen Major League in a long time, and and I know you watched it recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I know you talked about this last week. Like I'm excited for Cleveland to be in the World Series. Joe's like I'm excited for Cleveland. I'm not the biggest baseball guy, but Joe's really excited. Mm-hmm. Um, watching that movie kind of brought some of that spark back. I forgot how one like foul language filled that movie is which is great Mm -hmm. because it's a good r comedy yeah and it deserves it but how balanced it is amongst everybody it isn't just um i just remember that movie being more focused on charlie sheen for some reason and and that was wrong no yeah he's he's really not much in it it's more tom berenger is the lead yeah yeah and that's that's a good emotional hook through the whole movie Mm -hmm. but like he has his moment uh dorn has his moment um 
uh, uh, Serrano has his moment. Mm-hmm. Like every like the characters that you kind of meet during training camp, the ones they want you to focus on as the audience, which you get to training camp within like the first ten minutes of the movie. Yeah, you get a sense of all of them. You get the character beat, and you move on, and you get good comedy, good character development. Like you, the moment Willie Mays Hayes shows up and his converted VW um, Beetle with the Rolls Royce front end, you know that that is if there was a car to describe what Willie Mays Hayes is, that's it. Yeah, like you like. Like, you don't know who he is, but you know who he wants to be. Right. And it was like a perfect thing, you know? Um, and then Serrano, like, you introduce him just destroying the ball, and it's like, throw him a curveball. And yeah. then, like, suddenly, that's his character right there. Right. It's wonderful. Yeah, and then so, Joe jo Boo and, and everything. Like, um, uh, it's just a tightly written smart comedy that I just, it surprises me how, how much it holds up. It holds up really well. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of fun of it. And and the way that Cleveland has embraced it as something of their own, because there's other movies, there's other sports movies out there, you know, that you can, I mean, God, even the Cubs have Rookie of the Year. Which, side note, that is, I found out that uh, Gary Busey's character, Chet Stedman, mm-hmm. I never realized this because I've never seen Rookie of the Year. Had I known that growing up, I probably would have had a Cubs jersey with that last name on the back of it. <laughs> And so now living in Cleveland, I'm like, that's a really cool thing. I can't have that now. Like, yeah, I can't buy it now. But, I mean, you don't really see that across the board with, like, you know, other movies. Like, they had Angels in the Outfield. They had Rookie of the Year. I'm trying to think of some other ones. God, they even did Draft Day with yeah, the, the, Browns. the Browns. But that was more of a drama. But, like, a lot of these, like, you know, Cleveland – or not Cleveland, well, but, but remember sports there, there was Celtic Pride, which was about the basketball team. Mm-hmm. Um, and – I, there's other I mean there's plenty of baseball movies I mean probably the Yankees all that other stuff mm-hmm. too yeah um, but it's just like in terms of like major I, league but the, but just like you described all the characters like yeah. they're very character driven like like I I am on the hunt for a, like a like an 80s style um, Indians block letter jersey that they wore in the game and I want to get like Joe Boo on the back or Serrano or Vaughn because like I saw I see Vaughn jerseys all the time at the stadium yeah. and I saw a Serrano one last night and I I think I've seen a Dorn one. I saw a Joe Boo jersey once. I mean, to, to, to be honest, the Major League is basically an update of Slapshot yeah. where you have the Johnstown Chiefs right. and they realize that like they're going to get sold and move to Florida and they're like, well, screw it. Let's just win the whole thing. And it's the same thing where you have this like cast of characters. You have the over the hill veterans that have like maybe some gas in the tank. You have the untested like like rookies, and then you have the oddball characters. And I don't know if you've seen Slapshot like as a grown up, but it's been a while for you if you've it's seen been it or a not. While. That it's it's almost the same movie yeah. except for them. It isn't talent that gets them playing well. It's just beating up people. And like the Hanson brothers, you remember them. You remember uh, Paul Newman. You remember like it's it's like there's something about like those kind of movies that resonate with people more because it's like you can relate to the comedy of it. You can relate to like we're losers. People are counting us out. Let's just go win. Well, Semi Pro is a good example, but yeah. the Flint Tropics are gone. I guarantee if the Flint Tropics were still around, people would be rocking Jackie Moon jerseys, yeah, and Coffee Black jerseys, or who all the different <laughs> names that Andre Three Thousand went through in the in the um in the movie. <laughs> But like those 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 characters being you know so well and, and comedic in those movies, um, I think Major League is the only movie that stood out that uses like a major franchise like Cleveland. Well, that and the whole hook of it was that they hadn't had success and the town had seen better times, and it's it's all it was like it it was almost tailor made 
for the fr- like you could have picked any baseball team but like we're making this movie about these lovable losers could have been the it, cubs yeah it, it could have been the brewers which yeah. where they shot the movie at it could have been could have been anybody like it could have been the cubs um I mean, it could have been the red Sox too for the like you know at that time in the 80s yeah and it's just and even the yankees then were in the middle of a slump like you could have picked something but something about this like this midwestern town that had success before it had glory before and hasn't had it like whenever um, bob Uecker makes the joke of like they had what was it they called it um uh, Die Hard Night, where it's like anybody that's been around since the last time the Indians won a World Series gets in for free. Right. That was a funny joke then. <clears throat> it's it's like it's still funnier now. It still would be funny now, but it's getting sad now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but the movie holds up really. It's just I I was just impressed. Like it's been years since I've seen it. It's fun to see it in the theater. Fun to see it with everybody cheering on every single thing. It was just a good. There's night so out. many good one-liners in that movie too. Like, yeah, especially from Bob Euchre doing the announcements. Like, just like, and even from the beginning of that, you just see him drinking at the start of the season, and it just <laughs> keeps he just keeps drinking, drinking and drinking. You know, and at one point it's just like you can't say that. He's like, no one's listening. <laughs> you know, one like, goddamn hit. Can't say goddamn on the reason. Ah, no one's listening. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, I, if, if you guys haven't watched Major really recently, I mean, I'm sure everybody listening to this. Uh, is probably cheering for Cleveland, so you probably have watched that. You probably have a copy that has been mailed to you as a resident of Cleveland. You probably own the movie. Yeah, Watch think, it again. I think they send them out every every time we get into the postseason. Yeah, I mean, is that your favorite sports movie? Oh yeah, easily. Yeah. Oh yeah, like I mean, I like uh, I like Semi Pro. I actually like Necessary Roughness. I thought that was a good sports movie. That's a fun one with uh, yeah. Scott Bakula. Te- yeah, Texas Armadillos and, and Sinbad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. um, I I still am a big fan. Of, I love Mystery Alaska. I think that's a good movie. Um, Miracle, which I mean, that's the true story of the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey yeah. team, and Slapshot. I guess I just like a lot of hockey movies, but I know you're a big hockey guy. Yeah, I just but Miracle gets me every time I watch it. But yeah, Mystery Alaska wish, is really fun. I wish Cleveland had. I mean, are you excited about the monsters though? Yeah, I mean, no, because I know that's your sport. No, I like. I'm very happy. Like I'm happy for Cleveland for the monsters winning, because not only is that good for Cleveland to have a championship and for people to go downtown and support the local team. The, the good news about this is that the Monsters are now the farm team for the Columbus Blue Jackets. So any talent that's developed here goes down like, down the you know interstate, and they're playing in Columbus, which that's a bigger connection for the market for the state. You know, So you can actually see people here, because for the longest time, uh, the Monsters were the farm team for the Colorado Avalanche. And then before that, when they were the, the, um, the Cleveland Barons, they were the farm team for the San Jose Sharks. So why would you care about those guys that would be like, oh, I like these guys are like, you know, we they're, they've so kind of grown up here with us and yeah. now they went out west. So if you want to go see them, you can just drive two hours to Columbus now versus before. Yeah. Or feel a connection to Columbus that make that might make Cleveland become more of a Blue Jackets fan versus like a Pen, uh, Penguins fan right. or like a Red Wings fan, which that's been not to talk like sports distribution here, but. Cleveland's in a weird spot hockey-wise with Buffalo, Detroit, and um, Pittsburgh being around it. So you have a very split-up market base. But with Columbus being central, you would think that like, you would think Ohio would follow Ohio, but it hasn't been the case. It'd be nice anyway. if we got a hockey team. Well, we did have one. We had one in the 70s for two years, and then it didn't work out, so they left. Mm. Yeah, anyway. So... Um, no, I just, I major league was fun. I'm glad, we, glad that the Cleveland cinemas did that. I'm sure they, I mean, just seeing all the drinks everybody had, I'm sure they made the, they charged a dollar ticket, but I'm sure they made, oh, bank. they probably sure. Like, and I'm glad that's why I'm glad for the f- capital. They had, they, they must've, they must, that place must've been rocking. It would've been fun. I feel bad that they, they needed to piggyback off of that to get, you know, some vending success. I wish that, you know, they had more success with some other movies. So. The funny thing is, though, and I, we'll move on from this in a second. Uh, we're sitting there waiting for the movie to start. I was with two friends that had, they've never been to the Cedar League before. So 
I was trying to explain to them that it's kind of like this place shows a lot of mainstream stuff, but they also do some art house things and some different things. And the first trailer they showed when this house was getting packed and I just saw like a family with three small children sit down. The first trailer was for this movie called King Cobra that has James Franco in it and uh, Christian Slater. And I guess it's based on this true story of um, like these, these adult like men websites, but kind of how like on California, like you had your clientele that were on these campsites and then the whole sniping between where they try to grab talent, but it was very much like, you know, don't mess with my turf. So there became like almost like a gang war is a true story over these rival like adult male sites, campsites. And the movie's called King Cobra and they're showing this trailer and it's not graphic, but there's a lot of implied graphicness. And I'm just like, welcome to the secretly. Like, <laughs> like, like, I, like I've seen trailers like this and this, this kind yeah. of like, not this one in particular, but it was like, Hey everybody, thanks for coming out to see major league before you see a movie about baseball. We're going to show you a bunch of balls first. There you go. Have a good night. Like it was really, it was. I could tell everybody in the theater was like, "What is going on?" But it, it was funny anyway. Mm. So there's that. Um, yeah, baseball. Everybody, hopefully Cleveland. We're, it's one one right now. Hopefully we win it all, and then Joe's happy next week. Yeah, yeah. go tribe, go tribe. All right. So enough about that. Let's just get on to the news. <laughs> everyone all right so this isn't good news but it's news to report um well i guess we'll go with the first thing that's great news is that weird al is closing blizzcon meaning uh blizzard entertainment which we talked about on the show before they're having their convention in anaheim next week which is a celebration of all things blizzard they will give out uh news about upcoming games that they're releasing they'll have uh like esports going on it's just a celebration of what they do and also informing the customer base of what's coming next. Yeah. And if I had a chance to go, I'd go. As well, um, I would. Yeah. And that's one of my bucket lists. And and I think, I know we talk about Blizzard probably way too much, but I mean, this this kind of sets its uniqueness because like, there's no other franchise or um, public, pub, I guess, like, other The only thing I can think company. of is like Disney when they do their D23 conference. Right. But, like, but Disney's so huge. Like this company has its own convention for its product. And it's a big, it's a and huge... And for its fans. And for its fans, yeah. and it's a huge deal. I mean, you don't have, like, Rockstar doing this. There's no Rockstar con for uh, Grand Theft Auto and uh, Red Dead Redemption. And um, what else does Rockstar Bully. make? Bully. you know. Yeah. But, um, you know, yeah, it's 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 crazy. Like, I, I think uh, I think if, if you play even one or two of those games, it's, it's always, like, it's, like, always exciting to go to that. Yeah, so... They, they normally do it every year, not all the time, but uh, two years ago, they had Metallica close the show, which is a big get. That is a big get. But like you, like the, the kind of the word back was like, some people were excited, some people were like, great, can we go now? And then, because uh, the, the weird thing is like, you have Jay Moore who usually emcees it. He's funny. He can kind of read a crowd. Like he's into it. Um, he's done, a, I don't know if he's emceeing this year, but he usually emcees BlizzCon. So it's like you, when you're going to a convention that celebrates fantasy games and all like it's a it's a mixed crowd of people i don't know if metallica is the one that you bring in to close a show out i mean i'm sure there's a lot of people that like metallica but i'm sure not everybody does then like last year i think it was blink 182 and no one cared about yeah, that i think so, more you know oddly enough i think because because um and tenacious d did it once too 
Um, I don't know if it was last year or the year before. Tenacious D closed out once. I think that's a good choice. Well, I know because Metallica is uh, a San Francisco-based band, and I think I bet you a lot of fan base probably gravitated towards that as just a concert more yeah. than a convention. So they probably did that to do some ticket sales. And then know? Ozzy Osbourne did it once, too, if I remember <clears> right. <throat> yeah, because Ozzy closed out once, too. Yeah, that makes. I think that was during the, the ad campaign where he was one of the and then one of the ads. Yeah, it was like this that? was during Wrath of Lich King. Yeah, whenever he was supposed yeah. to be playing, like playing a warlock, and it was, the thing is, the warlock looked a lot like Ozzy Osbourne before they. It, he looks undead. That's just, I mean. Oh well, yeah, they did the, that with Mr. T and the Mr. No, T but, and Mohawk. Like, it didn't take right much up. to take an undead to make it look like Ozzy Osbourne. Like Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, so this year, Weird Al is closing the show, and I think like I know I'm biased. I think that's like I think that kind of hits the right spot because he's he is at a high career wise that. I don't think anybody saw coming again, like, you know, and, and mm -hmm. he's super popular still. And this is like, it's a good way to close out the show. Cause he brings energy and it's fun. I just think that's like, after all, everything it's all said and done. It's like weird. I was closing it. I know there was a petition going around last year for people wanting him to do the super time, super bowl halftime show. And they didn't really go anywhere. Mm. I thought that would have been amazing. That would have been amazing. <laughs> like he's, he's definitely a, on a, a performer of a next level. Like, I mean, you know, if you put it into perspective of a halftime show, like, you know, these people put on amazing halftime shows, but like, I don't feel like the dancing sharks and the light up stage and just the weird things that they do for the production ties into much of like their songs as much as he does. Cause if I've been to, you've been to his concerts. Yeah. He does such a good job of the production of his shows to tie into his songs. It's so much it's so much more entertaining to watch him do costume changes and things like that for the the songs that he does. Like I, I can say that I've been to better concerts for certain artists music wise. I cannot say I've never been to a better concert that I was entertained and smiling the entire time through mm -hmm. other than him. Yeah. Like you get your money's worth you were just like tickled the entire time. And I think it's good for him. Like, I think that's a good mixture because Blizzard, like uh, as much as they, um, they do a, a great job of polishing their games and giving you serious, good content. They're the first ones to make a joke. And I think that that's a good, that's a good mixture. It's yeah. like, they want to have fun. They want to laugh. And I think after the year that Blizzard's had in terms of their successes and also the departures of some of the heads of the Blizzard, this is a good way to kind of just be like, all right, we're going to have some fun and we're going to move forward. So anyway, that's, I thought that was good. So that's good news. That's cool. Uh, not so good news. I, I guess, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know how I feel about this yet, but Bethesda, um, they're the ones that are the developers of the fallout franchise, Skyrim, um, a couple other things too. I can't think off the top of my head, uh, but they all oh, doom they're, they're, They release doom now. Uh, they are now making a company, po company policy to not give out early release copies of their games for the press. Like they will now have the games available to the press for review the day before the game comes out, but not earlier than that. I think that's fine. I don't. I don't see why that's such a bad idea. I mean, I feel like that a lot of times, you know, the media can like totally tank game sales, and and I've I've had biased opinions by based on reviews that's completely steered me away, and I, I think that that does that that is consumerism like you kind of do want to check something and check a review before you buy it yeah but think of like a franchise like doom you know it's like like maybe some people just love shooters and they want to go out and get it right away and from a company standpoint i can see why bethesda would want to do this yeah i just think that it's like you <clears throat> if you're if you're that confident in your product like just then have it out for people to consume um like giving it like a week or two in advance it's it almost feels like you kind of deflate some of the hype for it, or or maybe overhype it too to a degree, um, in the sense that like 
maybe you take a little bit of the air out of it because someone's already played it for a week and you've read the review, so now you're just waiting a week to either get it or not get mm-hmm. it. Um, I, I don't know. I had, the same, I had a similar conversation with Mary the other night because she was frustrated that on Steam that, that not a lot of games offer demos of games anymore. And I said, well, not a lot of companies are doing that now because they found out that when they offer demos, like they don't create the sales that they thought they would. Yeah. And I think because some people kind of get in and kind of get a feel for the game. It's like, okay, that's cool. And then they kind of put it down and don't think about going further with it. I think the same thing with maybe these reviews. It's like, you're right. Like someone comes in and like, I know IGN now for some of the bigger AAA titles, they'll do what they call their review in progress where it takes them four or five days to get through a game and you can read the person's experiences with it. I'm okay with that actually. Cause yeah. you kind of get more, you get, but you get a better review. Cause like, I feel yeah. like they're responsible for crunching down a review and, yeah. and like in a, in a frame, like they got, they, they can submit so much, but if they're given a couple days to submit more, you can get more of a feedback other than just like, ah, oh, this, the soundtrack was a little flat. You know, yeah. versus like, you know, so I was playing through this level and this sound came and this song came on while I was fighting a boss and it just really set the tone, you know? Well, it just, and I, I guess I'm also a little torn too, because I just said that I think it's not a bad thing, but at the same time, it's been subconsciously set up where when a publisher won't let you have something until the release date, that implies that there's something wrong with it. Right. But I think Bethesda has, is, has become... It's gone into the upper echelon of developers where their franchises, uh, like Skyrim and Fallout, like I think they could announce like the next Elder Scrolls, and people wouldn't even think twice about getting a review from like a video game company or some something like that that gets an early copy. Like when that thing hits the shelves, it's going to be sold and ready to go. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, same thing. I mean, Doom was probably the only one because they they just took that from ID and made it their baby and started working on the newer doom. And I think you still had a cult following of doom, uh, fans, which, which we're going to get it anyway. Um, and then it was just pretty much completely reliant on people that like shooters that have never played doom, a different generation or whatever. Um, and then fallout like fallout is, is just as good as Skyrim. You know, it just, it just sells. Yeah. And I also think too, maybe that there's uh, some people out there that are, are quick to want to, to tank a review to, to crush like a, a Metacritic score for some reason, like they have in their eye, their mind that they're going to try to drop the score to make it look bad. Yeah. Like, that's a, just, that's a weird metric about like how Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes and all these things work where it's like people will purposely try to impact, you know, a group of people will try to impact a score um, just because they kind of offset it, because then that's what like the, the rest of everyone goes off of instead of formulating your own opinion. It was like that one guy that didn't like Toy Story three yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes because it had a hundred percent fresh rating, but that that one guy had to be like, I don't know about this. Like that's like really you couldn't stand the idea that there's a movie that everybody likes, right? So I I don't know. I feel like, but then the flip of this is like Ubisoft when they released Assassin's Creed Unity. They purposely kept that out away because they knew that thing wasn't finished and it was buggy as hell. And a lot of people bought it because like they had trusted Ubisoft with the rest of the Assassin's Creed stuff, and people just snapped that up, and it was just yeah. But people were just and also like Arkham Knight for PC. Yeah. Oh like, my God, that, that game! I never played it, but I heard all the horror stories of that game. Yeah. So I mean, it just I almost played it because they almost they were supposed to give me a free copy when I bought my video card, yeah, and then it expired, and I never got it. So I'm glad I didn't play it. <laughs> but um. No, I mean, like, the, I mean, Ubisoft's, I mean, that's a good example and a bad example, because, I mean, like, Ubisoft takes, 
Like the Assassin's Creed franchise is basically a sandbox Madden game where they spew out a game every year. Like if you hit, you take you take your three, you take your 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 Assassin's Creed, your Call of Duty, and your Madden, and those are going to be out at almost the same time every year. And those companies will just keep churning those like a factory, like like a factory line. And I don't think that's that's fair for Bethesda because Bethesda, like a lot of other developers, like like say Bioware, they're a lot like Blizzard. Since Blizzard. they don't release something until they're ready to release, yeah. It. And if it ain't gonna work, they'll scrap it because yeah. Blizzard has scrapped projects before too that, that that just wasn't up to par. And um, like I I really don't think this is a bad thing that Bethesda is doing. And I, I know I know everybody's probably reading about it and they're just like it's probably getting bad press because that's the ones who's hurting from it. Of course, they're going to write that they're going to say bad things about it. I think you equate this the same way as you would maybe music. Like I know Lady Gaga just put out a new album. If it's not out yet for like public release, it's going to be shortly. Like she doesn't need the hype. But if there's someone else out there that's still trying to make a name, you get that in the hands of a reviewer right. and say, hey, this is good. Check it out. Right. This is coming out in a week. Like a sophomore maybe, album. Yeah. Like, like if maybe that gives, a hit yeah. and then their sophomore album's coming out, you're not going to give somebody you're like, you know, uh, you're going to give them the review so that it's like, okay, you remember them last year. This is what they have coming next. So you can kind of hype it ahead of time. But if they're like six albums down the road and they've got platinum albums, there's no reason to release anything early for a review. Yeah. I, I just think it's a, this, it's a different – It now that we're in the world of, of instant access everything – it's interesting for them to say we're not you're going to get to this the same time everybody else does and they basically said on their blog post or on their website they're like if you're waiting for a particular website to review it's like just give it a couple of days like basically they're saying if you're on the fence with your $60 we're not saying go buy it day 1 it's like make up your mind that's fine but give it a couple of days if you're if you're that con- if you're that upset not upset but if you're that concerned about the quality of something then we understand take your time I honestly feel like this is a move in the media's behalf to try to get them to give them, uh, like, you know, early access. Yeah. Because, like, this would never, like, if this was standard practice of, like, any other game industry uh, or a developer or anything like that, like, if, like, let's say off the rip Game Informer was not getting stuff right away from Activision, then they would not cry and whine about it. But I feel like. You know, this has been on Game Informer. This has been on IGN. Um, I saw it on a, a, a headline from like Google News or something. If these people weren't so worried about getting these games right away to review them, then you know they wouldn't probably be talking about it. That and early too early of access of a game can can ruin. The, like they're they're trying to polish something because if like one thing goes out to the media early enough, it's like. And people don't understand the context of either something's not working because it's not yet implemented or it's not polished. That could make people completely change their mind about something. Um, It's just, I don't know. It's like public opinion right now is so fast and fickle that it's easy that if someone, the moment somebody catches something negative, it's done and it's collapsed, you know? So I don't know. I just thought thought it was worthy of bringing up as a story, Uh, not as in like I have all the answers. I just, I have not seen a big AAA publisher say that, nope, this is not what we're doing now. So. Thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, something else interesting. There is a movie coming in a couple months called uh, The God Particle. At least that's the the name of it right now. It's a sci-fi film produced by Abrams, which because he's producing everything now. I think he might be producing this podcast. I don't know. If he is, we want a higher budget. JJ, listen to us. And Joe wants more Star Wars. That's that, yeah. Right. Yeah. Let me get um, let me get on that set. Uh, he uh, and Bad Robot. They've announced that this movie God Particle is actually going to be tied into the Cloverfield universe. 
And I think that's awesome because this movie's only a couple months out from being released and it was shot secretly this year, much like Cloverfield Lane uh, was shot secretly with pretty much no one knowing. And I think that this is their attempt at keeping some mystery in a franchise in a good way. So I'm, I don't know anything about it well, and I'm, I'm, I'm already, I'll go see it. I know he's usually good at like revealing, at least giving you the payoff, but I, I don't. I still want. I want to know what a payoff is about a connected Cloverfield universe. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's fair. After, but after two movies, I've not seen a connection. Well, other than like, you know, aliens. I get no. They never explain what the Cloverfield monster was. Well, that's true. I mean, maybe I mean, like yeah. other than if the aliens are looking for it, or it's or, one of them that they got loose. I don't know, but. Yeah. Uh, Either way, so far I like because the whole idea like, like with Ten Cloverfield Lane, it was originally a completely under, like script separate from anything. And the neighbors looked at it again. He's like, "We could do something with this," and they brought it into Cloverfield. Much like uh, how when Saw became a big hit, Saw Two was an unrelated script that they turned into a Saw movie. So, I, it makes me wonder how this this project has probably been kicking around for a while, and they're like, you know what? This is this is a good idea. People will be excited for it, but if we actually give it the branding, this will give it a bigger a bigger range. And it's it's just, it's like they keep saying the word Cloverfield is kind of like saying it's synonymous with like Twilight Zone. How it's supposed to be like this is it's connected. And it's going to be these weird stories. It's going to be its own thing. Um, but you're right. I I haven't thought about like what is the bigger overall like payoff to this. I just want good movies that are like because I. Honestly, I could take or leave the very end of Tin Chlorophyll Lane. I don't think, I almost think it gives you too much. I like, do too. And, yeah, we talked about but it. But I, but I like that movie a lot. I thought it was a good movie, and yeah, the ending kind of like, I don't want to say it ruined it for me, but like up until that point, I was all in on it, and then like I was just kind of like, ah, that was, that was too much. Yeah. So uh, just I, it's coming. We'll probably talk about more as it comes. Another science fiction movie that they've announced news on, and Joe has a little bit more info about this than I do, uh, Alien Covenant, they said that the aliens are not called xenomorphs, they're called neomorphs. And I, then why is that, did they say? Well, I think, uh, I can't remember if um, Fassbender described it. I think Fassbender described it. But the goo, the black goo from... Um, Prometheus. Uh, from, from Prometheus. Uh, it Wherever they crash land, the goo gets in the flora there somehow and then these things grow from these pods hmm. so they're egg-like in in, a, in an essence and it's and it's all ties back to prometheus and the black goo um and then uh there I, I guess they haven't evolved yet maybe into the um face hugging type in xenomorphs so i again it's something a little different i i i'm i'm hoping covenant is a great movie. I mean, it's Ridley Scott. Hopefully, you know, it's just, but Prometheus I'm divided on. There's so much I like about that movie and there's so much that drives me nuts about it. Um, you know, I, I, I can't treat this like alien to me. The first three alien movies I think are great. We've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. I love them dearly. Um, they're not going to ruin my childhood. They're not going to take away from anything. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I just, I don't, I hope this isn't to try to appease everybody. Like, well, they're not xenomorphs. They're this. It's like, if you're that worried to say, you know what, they're a different alien, that's fine. But if there's like, if they found like a really cool narrative hook as to why that they're different, well, I'm fine with that too. My whole thing with Prometheus was, is I felt like there wasn't enough tie into the movie Alien. Like, I feel like, you know, they it was billed as like the major prequel to Alien that you were going to get some more of an origin piece in the Xenomorph. 
Um, and then it wasn't really revealed until the end of the movie, which which really kind of felt lackluster. Um, and I don't it, at that point it wasn't even needed. It wasn't needed, and I felt Prometheus, even though I didn't like Prometheus, I would have liked it a little bit better if it was a separate standalone story that wasn't tied to the alien universe. Um, you know, with that said, if they're going to go forward with a sequel and they want to keep it in the theme of Alien, that's fine if they're going to do these um, these different type of, uh, what are they called? Neomorphs. Neomorphs. Animorphs. Animorphs. Uh, <laughs> if they want to do Animorphs, um, that's fine, but like, let's... You see Michael Fassbender change <laughs> on the cover, like go from being full Fassbender down to, I don't know... Chinchilla. A chinchilla. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, like, like, have them throughout the movie explain their evolution... Show the changes in the creature. Because, I mean, like, the Xenomorphs is a fascinating creature. It's, it's like, very adaptive, and they evolve very strange. You know? And their life cycle is weird in the sense that yeah. they're an egg, face hugger, and then upright something or other mm-hmm. that's a queen that lays eggs. It's it's very much, it's two-stage lifespan like a jellyfish. Yeah. Now, jellyfishes are one thing, and then they are then they grow on the seafloor as a polyp, and then they turn into jellyfish again. It's weird, you know? So, yeah, yeah it's very, like, I don't need, I guess I don't need it all spelled out, but it's like, you didn't give me enough about the engineers, to satisfy me in that first movie. Mm-hmm. And he didn't give me enough about other than the fact that we think that they crash landed on some type of weapons depot. And that's all we really know, but right. we don't know what the extent. So I, I'm hoping this is good. I'm hoping this is a good R rated hard sci-fi, like, you know, not R just because it has to be R, but like, and, like it earns the R and it's, it's a good serious sci-fi movie. And I feel like, like the original concept of alien wasn't as grasped as much as Prometheus. Like, the terror in space, like like sci-fi horror, is like Alien is pretty much like at the the front running of sci-fi horror. When you think of terror in space, you think of Alien. Prometheus wasn't that terrifying. There were some scary moments in it, but it really wasn't very terrifying. Yeah, I was more bothered by her having to cut open her abdomen. There was so many problems with that. Like, like I don't want to get into it. Like my biggest pet peeve of that girl movie, with the Alien tattoo, the girl with the Alien tattoo, is uh, you know what's funny is I always pull up that scene. And whenever, like, one of like my coworkers is pregnant, I'll be like, "Did you ever see Prometheus?" <laughs> like, do this you want to see? Do, do you, you want to see the most terrifying C-section ever? Um, is uh, the scientists in that movie? Like halfway through the movie, I didn't realize those people were scientists. I just thought they were like, like asshole mercenaries. Yeah, I'm like, the, wait, that guy's a geologist. Like, I'm like, that yeah. guy does not seem like he's a geologist. Like at the all. one guy who's terrified to be outside, like suddenly takes off his helmet to go look at the yeah. snake alien. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I hope it's good, and I hope this this doesn't keep uh, Below Camp's Alien um, f- Four from ever being made or Five, whatever it's called. The one that brings back Sigourney Weaver yeah. and everything. So speaking of speaking of Blow Camp, did you see that uh, that BMW short video he did? Not yet. Is that the one with the Star Wars stuff? Or no, is that oh. no, he did he did a he did a short video for BMW with um, John Bernthal, Dakota Fanning, and Clive Owen, and it's basically the transporter. Huh. And it's actually pretty good. Well, I know there's another car commercial out there that has a Rogue One tie-in. It's supposed to be badass. Like it shows oh, no. like this isn't like okay. a commercial. This is like 15 minutes long. Oh, I'll have to watch it. It's like that. a short film. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but, but it was funded by or it was like sponsored by BMW because, you know, he drives a BMW in it and, and there's not like any commercial tags, but it's it's billed like that. That's so, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. That, that sounds awesome. Um, yeah. So anyway, enough about that. Uh, one quick other note here. John Cleese, uh, as we're recording this today on October 27th, John Cleese turned 77. So I just want to say happy birthday to him. I'm sure he's just a grumpy old man now, but he makes me laugh still. 
And I, just, I, the world, the world's a better place with John Cleese. Still I feel in like it. he's probably a grumpy old man, but he's still cynical enough. Yeah, that he'd probably be have fun with a lot of things. Uh, he's he's still kind of funny on Twitter. I don't know if you see some of his tweets. Sometimes he says something that's like ridiculous. Him and Eric Idle are still funny. Like they, you know, I'm just happy. The, the like, uh, the Holy Grail. Even though I know he hates that movie, like he's pretty much like said that he hated everything about it. He's still one of the best parts of it. Just there's that whole bit where he's running across the field. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just running and that's, just running. That's like and, that's like one of my favorite parts in that movie, and just because he kills that one guy, and the other guy's like, "Hey!" Like, he's, well, then he's taking his sword, swinging around the castle. Then he looks at those flowers on the wall and cuts at them too. He cuts and the flowers down. Yeah. And then when they like when he comes back down, and then like all those people are like, "Hey, it's him!" And he just starts killing him again. And he's like, "Sorry, sorry." And then the music starts up again too. It's yeah. just yeah. Anyway, so John Cleese, happy birthday! Happy Stick birthday, around for another seventy-seven years, please. Yeah. Um, all right, so. Um, yeah, that'll do it. Do, do it for news, and now on to this. And now for our feature presentation. Brains. Brains. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Brains. Oddly enough, brains, the whole brains thing came from Return of the Living Dead, not any of Romero's stuff. Yeah, which that is an offshoot because the guy who co-wrote Night of the Living Dead with him went off. There was a weird weird um issue with ownership of the names yeah night of the living dead uh also fell into public domain yeah which was funny because I, I i ended up watching part of it on youtube um before i came over because it is pretty much public domain you can watch it anywhere yeah so um so yeah we're talking about george romero's night of the living dead dawn of the dead and day of the dead but yeah real quick then the 80s um his writing partner i think or a guy who worked with him on night of the living dead went off and did return of the living dead which he has argued is just a different cotton timeline of what happened after this took place and that one you're right has more of the focus on the brains mm-hmm. it's more comedy based um that's the one where you have all the zombies starting to get electrified and the one definitely looks like michael jackson from thriller mm-hmm. yep and yeah and then the whole bit where what was it the guys on the phone asking for more um he's like send more ambulances or whatever he's like send more firemen i forget what he says but he's like just he just wants brains so he's talking to the people like yeah send more of them like i think that that's isn't clancy brown in that maybe it's i feel like, like he played one of the antagonist zombies i feel like we should maybe watch them next year for, for oh, Halloween. Yeah, we'll we run go. the Return of the Living Dead I gotta, series. I gotta find out if he's in that. Yeah. So keep going. Anyway, so unrelated to Night of Living Dead. Yeah. No, so I, I figured that it was, it'd be a fun way to wrap up our Halloween, our spooky Halloween. Uh, talk about like just one of the classics because I, not only do I think it's important, I also think that's a little bit overshadowed now because of all the zombie stuff out there and how this is not that not that Romero's forgotten about and not that these movies are forgotten about, but there's so much that's going on right now. Like the walking dead just came back mm-hmm. on TV and everybody's freaking out because Batman's dad killed some people. I don't know, whatever. Um, <laughs> and, and I feel like and that I'll come back to that too. Cause I feel like this ties to this discussion here. Um, and I'd watched uh, night of the living dead last year, whenever uh, Cleveland cinemas did their 12 hours of terror. And that's the first time I'd watched that in a long time. And it still held up. And I was like, you know what? I don't think I've actually re- saw the other two. Like, I saw them in bits and pieces, but I think this is one of the ones that my mom kept us away from because of the graphic, graphic gore. That well, is very... all of them are graphic. Yeah, but the first one is like not. I mean, it's black and white, and it's, it's not, not as graphic. Yeah, but, but when you get to the third one, which they perfected the art of tearing somebody oh, apart. Well, yeah, that's all Tom Savini. <sighs> yeah, I mean both and, those movies. And like with Savini, like if you like, I guess I don't. I, I think. No, no, no. Okay, he did go to Vietnam before. Yeah, so he Dawn. was supposed to do the special effects for the first one. Yeah. And then he got drafted. 
Right. And so then when he came back, which I had my notes here. Well, no, he, he was in the fir- in the second one. No, he he did do the he did oh, the makeup the first for, one. He did the effects for uh, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. Yeah. He was supposed to work on the first one, but got drafted. Okay. Um, and then when he came back, he said his time over there influenced his work. I, that's pretty obvious, you know. Yeah. Like he saw some he saw some shit over there. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, we can talk about the gore and how how amazing it is, and I, I think it, I think it deserves its due because it's watching the day of the dead and sorry dawn of the dead and day of the dead like with like one day after the other and going what like what was it uh day of the dead was made um or dawn of the dead was made in 79 and day of the dead was made in 85 and even going six years the effects work just it kept going up and it Mm -hmm. was amazing that deserves all its credit what is interesting to me not only seeing romero grow as a filmmaker because that first one definitely feels like a bunch of guys got together, so let's make a movie as quickly as we can. Mm-hmm. And with it being black and white, still feels very, very independent. I feel like there is really interesting social commentary in all three of those. And I know that's the most obvious statement ever, but for someone that keeps revisiting the same type of idea, which is reanimated dead, to fit so much context in three different ways, that's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And I know he tries to do it more later, too. Too and it to a very degree success. To. Yeah, because like I think he did um, Land of the Dead, which Land of the Dead was was pretty much social commentary on the one percent, and then um, Diary of the Dead, which was uh, social commentary on uh, like uh, like social media and like uh, you know your Facebooks and your Twitters, because that's when it was really starting to blow up, like you know in like two thousand eight, two thousand ten, I think something like that. Yeah. yeah. So and then you had survival of the dead, which no one. I think you maybe watched. I, didn't I see think it. that was social commentary on eating horses. <laughs> but uh, that's all and, I really took away from that one. It was like she bit a horse. And, and, and I'm sure we talked about this last year too, because we did talk about zombie movies a little bit. I, and I and I think zombie movies can pack a lot of social commentary. Just it's something. There, there's a weird genesis. How I feel like Night of the Living Dead didn't. It didn't need to do that to be successful but it's what's kept it going on because i think the approach that he had and just the stark graphicness of the violence in it that would have made that movie get attention but then um even though they kept saying at the time that it wasn't important but you have um an african-american lead that was showing decision making skills and taking charge and i and i wanted to note here like so um night of the living dead came out uh october 1st 1968 the Civil Rights Act was passed in a law in April of 1968. So that was the year like when everything was like, I mean, not that everything wasn't changing already, but like there was a lot of things going on and this is a big challenge. And I think that's significant to talk about that. I know it's, it seems like the obvious point now, but if you look at that and they look at like um, Day of the, Dawn of the Dead, you have Ken Faree, who's also another strong African-American man that's taking charge and compassionate and understanding and everything else. And, and, and then you go to the third one, the helicopter pilot, I forget the actor's name, the character's name, but he's oh, also, yeah. he also presents a different point of view too. And he's like, it's like, like um, Romero wasn't afraid to, he wasn't afraid to shy away from like y- y- the, what you think of as the, the archetypes of these and the heroes right. and the villains well, even were very did, different and very murky and it'd always be mixed. Well, he even did that with the female leads over the three movies. Cause you had Barbara in the first one who pretty much spent a lot of the movie catatonic. Yeah. Not the strongest character, but, but I mean a fairly realistic portrayal of what some people might do when right. dealt with stress. But then like Francine, in the second movie, um, you know, she took more she took more charge of stuff. Um, she's like she wanted to learn how to fly the helicopter so that she can survive and things like that. So it's like and then you moved into was it Sarah and the 
I think so. In the the Day of the Dead. Um, she, uh, I, I literally just watched it today. That's terrible. That <laughs> I can't remember that. But, uh, but she, you know, she was kind of like the, I feel like she was the main lead character in that whole, yeah. the movie, you know, and she kind of drove the story. She was like the most level headed character. She was the Peter from Dawn of the Dead in Day of the Dead. Yeah. So. Well, even to be fair, the, 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 the lady in the second movie, there's a bit where when they finally get to the mall and they realize, Hey, this could be a safe haven. Yeah. She straight up says to to the guy, she's like, "Listen, there's four of us. I'm going to be involved in decision making." And Ken Faree's like, "She's right." Like, it just automatically is like, "All right, it's the four of us. We're yeah. making decisions." Because in the first movie, and I think it's a course correction to the second movie, where I feel like Romero's probably like, "Yeah, Barbara just got slapped a lot and was just lying on the couch, quiet, and then would freak <laughs> out." Like, you know, it's like she wasn't like she freaked out she, way too much. Yeah, you know, she, she was a problem. Like, she was a liability in the rest of the movie. Uh, yeah, she wasn't as big a liability as like some people are in most of these movies. But yeah. yes, she she was very uh, catatonic in a, a lot of times. It was um, it's one of those things where it's like you got to calm her down. So like, I feel like she was fitting that trope of character where it was like the. You know, the I can't believe this is happening character. Yeah. You know, I can't wrap my mind around it, you know. And then, like, you go to actually in Dawn of the Dead, like Francine, like she um, she actually was like the complete opposite in a sense, because, you know, she's the one when we get to the mall and she's just like, you know, this place. She's like, look at them. They're just like walking around mindlessly. And it was that social commentary about how, you know, um, Americans are drawn to consumerism and they just, yeah. you know, kind of walk around like zombies at a mall. Because well, they said that like, one of them said like they're drawn to what they used to know. Right. And so then you see some wandering through an ice skating rink and some of them yeah. like getting caught in the net. I don't know what was going on there, but yeah. Well, then even towards the end of the movie, like when she starts kind of freaking out on him about leaving, she's like, we're prisoners here. She's like, you know, this this place, you know, she's like, all this stuff has made us want to stay here. And I'm like, you know, she realizes and gets it. That's what, you know, you get, you get, you know, the things that you own, own end up owning you and you're in the, the, the grandest place of them all in a shopping mall. And you don't want to give up all your little, your covetous things, your dragon horde of, of stuff in the shopping mall. Yeah. And, and even with that too, which I like, I was, I think I ended up seeing the director's cut of the movie cause it was like 139 minutes long. So I think, cause there's various cuts of, um, yeah, Dawn of the dead, different cuts of Dawn. Um, um I, I there was a lot of that movie was spent of them just celebrating what they could get a hold of, like getting trying on suits, yeah. getting all this food, which I yeah. don't know how that food stayed okay after all that time, but right? whatever. Yeah. Um, and then playing video games and yep. pinball and all this stuff. But there's a point towards the end of that where you see her and her um, boyfriend, I think whatever his name is, a Peter, uh, uh, Steve, Steve. Yeah. They're in bed together and they're not looking at each other, but they're looking straight ahead and they're stone still like the mannequins in the mall around like they're just like it was just like the camera pulls back and if you didn't realize those actors this look they look like they're just a fixture mm-hmm. in a bedroom set yeah and i know that was on purpose but it was wonderful to show like how much they've become like the things around them yep and how and how much they've pretended to play society whenever the world's crumbling around them um and that to me is like that's still powerful the the movie has the movie definitely shows its age at times but there's bits there that still, no matter what, strike. Like people right. wandering around a mall aimlessly yeah. or going up an escalator backwards, being a zombie. Like that all still works for me, you know. And um, and then having their safe haven that is actually a pretty good safe haven. What what undoes it all? 
a, bi- a biker gang that's just greedy and wants to screw things up. Right. So it's the people that screw it all up. Not, it's always the people it's that always screw people. it up. Well, I like even in the beginning when, you know, it's like the military's out there with all the 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 rednecks and stuff, and they're just having a good old time. Yeah. Like, and it just shows, you know, because, like, they comment on how, like, rural society has kind of, like, they've been fine, but then, like, major cities and, and things like that have, like, fallen into decay and stuff like that because people didn't know what to do. Well, and I was, I was surprised because we, we – sounds like we just skipped right over Nia Living Dead, which I know we talked – we talked about that last year a little bit. Um, it, it, the, the way that that movie ends suddenly with um, the you know uh, the main character. Uh, I know his actress name's Dwayne Jones, but the you know the, the African American man who makes it through the whole movie, and he looks out the window, he sees help coming, just gets shot in the head, and that's it, and he's done. Like he's killed. They don't even ask questions. They just think that he's one of those things in the in the house. They just shoot him. He's dead. And then the credits roll with these guys all just kind of. You hear all the chatter of all these guys walking around with their guns. It's like, yeah. oh, they're having a good old time. They're cleaning house, and it's very like stark and sudden. And that is probably one of the greatest like screw you endings. Yeah, it is that you'll ever have. It's where it's, it's like, like, oh my god, this guy he, he survived. Made, he made all the right decisions. He made the right calls, and they just shot him. Well, originally. Uh, Dawn, they were supposed to end it like they were supposed like uh, Peter was supposed to shoot himself in the head, and then Francine was supposed to stand up into the helicopter blade. Yeah, which but that would have been another like that would have been another like oh man, I I wouldn't have liked that as much though because like I feel like they were smart enough to try to survive so long. I don't understand why they would give up hope. Yeah, like she kind of started to give up hope, but like the only part about that alternate ending that I read about that I thought was interesting is that they were going to have. Romero is going to have the chopper blades going through the entire credits. And then as soon as the credits were about to wind down, the chopper was going to slow down, stop basically showing they only had about five minutes worth of fuel. Anyway, it would have been pointless to try to fly. Mm-hmm. That to me seems like a bigger screw you ending than them killing themselves. Cause it's like, even if they would have wanted to get out, they couldn't have. Yeah. But I still like that. They actually have the uncertain future. They fly off. You don't know what happens to them, but you're hopeful, you know? Um, I know we're kind of mixing those two together, but just going from like that black and white movie of the sixties, which feels like, like the context feels still right, but it feels almost like 20 years older than when you go to like, like Dawn of the dead, it feels that like, it feels like, like a different time, which I mean, I know literally it was like, you know, maybe about t- not even 10, 10 years. years. It was about yeah, 10 years, about yeah. 10 years. It feels even older than that. And then you go to this where, the, the similarities are in the first movie, which which I still really like, is uh, when they're listening to the radio and watching the TV broadcasts. That all feels the, the TV broadcasts feel real. Mm-hmm. It feels like you're watching somebody like reading the news live on the air. And he keeps handing reports to him. He's trying to get the news out there. That felt like a documentary to me. Um, and then when they're actually interviewing people out out and about, that felt like an actual news broadcast. That movie feels very grounded. The second movie starts off with that big argument at the TV station, which was weird. I don't know. What's yeah, going I don't on understand there. this. The start of the second movie, yeah. at, like up until they land at the mall, I'm like super confused because like <laughs> they get like there's the whole argument in the the news station. You know, I don't even know what they're reporting on. It's just two people doing an interview and arguing. Yeah. Um, and then like you know, I was telling you, the sound editing was terrible, so I couldn't figure out what a lot of people were saying at times. Yeah, I thought it was just the version I was watching was weird. It probably wasn't. No, it was it's just, sound editing. Yeah, it's bad. But um, uh. You know, and then everybody's being really chaotic, and like uh, Francine wants to pull the uh, the safe stations off of the air because some of them are are not reporting that they're active anymore, so they're sending people to bad stations and things like that. And and then uh, her boyfriend comes and gets her, and he's like, "All right, let's fly out of here. I'm going to go pick up my buddy." 
and then they go over to where his buddy is, and he's a SWAT officer yeah attacking a building i don't understand why they're attacking the building so, so the reason they're attacking the building is because you hear in the reports that they're trying to get all like the outlying areas out of their locations to get them into a more centralized location in the cities because they believe the cities are safe spaces to actually which you know watching the walking dead you know that's the worst thing you could possibly do is get everybody collected together but that's what they were doing and they're kind of going through and if people weren't going along with them they're just killing them and then they were finding zombies along the way and just killing them. Like there's that amazing headshot of the guy standing up in the apartment. Like, yeah. like or it's like it was like what just happened, you know? Yeah. But then they're in the basement because the one priest he walks out and looks at the two guys. He's like, I've already given them the last rites. They're good to go. Make sure you kill them and make sure they stay dead. It was like really harsh for a priest to be like, just kill them right. Like they're good. Mm-hmm. And then they go and they just start mowing down all these zombies. And it's like you, you feel desensitized because it's like they're they're just shooting these things one two three and done and the guy's like let's just get out of here I don't like I don't feel like this is going to get yeah. any better so they just they hightail it off to Pittsburgh or Monroeville yeah. to go to the mall well yeah and they'll get into Monroeville Mall in a second so do you realize that the guy that wanted the cigarettes really bad from Dawn of the Dead remember that guy was yeah. like, you guys any cigarettes that's Rhodes. Like that's the actor that oh, plays that, Rhodes. Plays the, ends up playing the military guy. He ends up playing Colonel Rhodes. Yeah, in the, the, in the, the third main movie. Antagonist yeah, in the third movie. Um, but anyway, so there's a theory that he. It's the same character. There's yeah. a theory that he was a cop. It was just an asshole cop that ended up becoming an asshole military guy. And even though they've never they've never confirmed it, that's a fun theory to have because mm-hmm. it's like it's the same actor. Why not? You yeah. know. Um, but the, the yeah. Monroeville Mall, like I did a little research on that today too because that's that's a huge character in itself. Like it's very iconic. Um, even as a standing actual mall and, you know, in, in horror, it's an iconic horror structure. Like that's where Dawn of the Dead was filmed. Uh, I guess like the whole like process of the filmmaking started because George Romero knew a friend from high school that was the manager of a production company that was that built the mall. Yeah, because he went to college. Romero went to college at Carnegie Mellon in mm-hmm. Pittsburgh. So. Yeah, he has a, he has a huge connections to Pittsburgh. Yeah, so so he went there and like while he was getting a tour of the mall, like he started realizing he's like this would be a really good place to hold up during an apocalypse, and then that's how he started writing the script for uh, uh, Dawn of the Dead, and then um, what's his name? Um, uh, oh, um, uh, I can't think of his name. Argento, Argento, Dario Argento, Argento uh, helped fund his you know f- help fund his movie as long as he had the distribution rights overseas so that's why you have a ton of different versions of what is zombie was it zombie i think is what they called it overseas we yeah have a bunch of different v- versions of zombie overseas and then you've got you know romero's distribution over here in the states so that's kind of how that got birthed yeah because otherwise there wasn't going to be funding for uh for, like he couldn't find a u.s funding mm-hmm. argento got like international funding together for this um also it should be noted that at the time of Ro- monroeville mall was the largest mall in the world at the time. Mm-hmm. And now I guess it's like like dwarfed compared to everything else out yeah. there. It's, it's a pretty it, cool looking mall. I and it's it still up. there. Yeah. And it's not that far away from here. And I kind of want to go there now. I kind of want to go there too. But yeah. I know like three years ago they moved the JCPenney. Like it's, it, it was in the exact same spot <laughs> it was in the movie. And then they moved it. I want to say nor- they moved on the north side of the mall and um, they put a Cinemark in where the JCPenney is. Oh, well, I'd still like to go just for the, like, to try to get, like, just the lay of the land. The to try to, and yeah. the lay of the land. And then also I know that the cemetery that the first movie was shot at isn't too, it's, it's in uh, Connorsville, which is not too far away from all that. And also Romero shot the dark half. 
the movie with Timothy Hutton, the Stephen King adaptation, also in that same area. So I think it'd be fun to go kind of just visit all that because, like, why yeah. not? It's like it's like a horror pilgrimage. It's like just go do that, and it's like you can tell, like, like that whole uh, Monroeville thing, like it it is it stuck with everybody because, like, uh, in Dogma. Um, the the three skate punks that are like the demon kids that are harassing everybody and they mm-hmm. uh, one of them is wearing a Monroeville Zombies uh, hockey jersey because there was a minor league team there called the Monroeville Zombies so they, like so everybody everyone knows but I think it's kind of cool and I think like actually uh, P- uh, Peter was the only character in the three trilogies to call them zombies he said it once yeah in the second movie he's like there's a bunch there's like there's all these zombies there's gonna be a whole, zombie, bunch, of zombies gonna be a whole bunch of zombies in here yeah. Um, so yeah, the second movie, like I like the third one, I think was more polished, just in terms of production, and plus also since it was a, uh, it I mean, I say it's a smaller film in the sense of it's less people, there's less moving parts, um, no pun intended. It's it's a smaller film, even though its scope is bigger in the sense that the world has kind of moved on. The second movie, the third one, I'm talking the about Day, Day of the Dead, but Dawn of the Dead, like I liked it. Warts and all, I think I enjoyed that movie more just because not it, it had comedy in it. Um, and I feel like some of it was really well earned, but it's like what it was trying to say there, I think is much bigger than what was going on in, in day of the dead. Yeah. Day, day didn't really have like a lot of, I don't feel like commentary going on. Well, I, I, it did in the sense that like, you know, by that time, major communications cut off. You don't know what's going on. That military base is acting based on instinct now, not as in like direction. And also the whole idea of, um, the one, the one scientist there that after watching reanimator, I was like, this, this guy would probably would have room with Jeffrey Combs and, and Oh yeah, together. that guy totally would. He even uh, sounded like Jeffrey Combs too. Logan. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Logan. Yeah. Who had his friend bub. Yeah. Bub. Yeah. So the Wolverine connection there, Logan and bub right there. Um, <laughs> like it just, he was very much like, like uh Herbert West where he's like, it's science. What are you going to do? Get me another zombie. Yeah. Oh, also, I just connected this guy. This guy's entire face, skull, and everything. It's just a brainstem connected to a body. Watch, I can make its arms move. Like, and he just did that out. Like, I could do that. Not yeah. as in this is horrendous work. It's just like, eh, where's the food? I'm hungry now. Yeah. Like, it was really weird. I I liked how direct he was, but it was very like with his hair being all disheveled. He also kind of reminded me of Pierce Hawthorne a little bit from Community. Yeah, he looked a little bit like. Crazy, yeah, he definitely had a Pierce look. <laughs> crazy Chevy Chase. But, like, it's like Chevy Chase no, via Herbert West. But it's a mad scientist. It's, he <laughs> literally, was literally a mad scientist. And they kept calling yeah. him Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like the third movie, which I, I, the music of that third movie really got me, which by the way, I think the version we saw of Dawn of the Dead didn't have the full Goblin, Goblin soundtrack, yeah. but it had some. And I want to listen to a lot of that separate from the movie. I And here, here people can, you can send your emails to me out of anger man, that, that music doesn't feel right at times with that movie. Like it doesn't feel like Dawn. Yeah. And Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, keyboard pieces in Dawn that are just kind of like really too upbeat. Yeah. And like, you know, when they're getting the trucks and then there's a couple where they're, they're, they're cleaning out the zombies in the mall and, and, um, you know, they're just kind of playing this music that's just like, ah, we're going through the mall. And I'm just like, yeah. ah. Oh, real quick. Did, did Dawn of the Dead not feel like the the very first video game movie in the sense of like, hey, we have three entrances we have to block. We better go get the trucks. Like, like objective met. It's like, yep. oh, well, we got to get this wagon through here. Better go distract the zombies. Objective met. Yeah. It felt very like video game objectives the entire time. There were time. a lot of objectives in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Less objectives in Day of the Dead. Yeah. Uh, but Day of the Dead, the sound, the music in that, I mean, just maybe because it's more 80 synth. I was like, I'm right. I'm in with this. I like it. And plus also a lot of that's been sampled by the gorillas. So I've already been kind of suckered in listening to their music and not realizing I heard a lot of that already. Um, I liked 
I liked the whole idea. He had a military base that had that like that um that hangar lift that went up and down. Mm-hmm. Like it was like the most secure place you could be. But the the worst thing about it was now the guy who's in charge of the military side of it is just you could see him just snapping. Well, yeah, and, you caught it right at the end, like when they said that uh, who was it the 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 major died before when they get back from yeah. the little excursion that they went on, and then it's just like okay, then Colonel Rhodes is in charge, and like Colonel Rhodes is just like like crazy you know and then he's got like those two two henchmen guys that are just giggling at everything too like oh like over like overly large h john benjamin yeah like the guy looked i was like that looks a lot like h john benjamin kind of and also kind of like john goodman like the guy named steel mm-hmm. who i thought he was a really good actor in the movie he was really he was awesome like yeah. he was a dick but like i mean i don't know it was cool and then who was it? like uh what's her name's boyfriend was it salazar yeah, the, the one guy that was that, just, he was going nuts. He was going crazy. Like I, I, I didn't understand his reasoning. I no. mean, I guess he's crazy. I didn't understand his reasoning at the end of the movie when he's just like, "I'm gonna just go let all the zombies in." Yeah, and I don't understand him, that. And then let him eat me. Like, yeah, yeah. But just uh, from this, the amount of horror, like not horror, the body gore in that movie alone makes it worth rewatching again. Because I didn't realize how I knew it was going to be graphic. Because I mean the whole pulling people apart, which still holds up really well. It does. Like the three people that got pulled apart. Like there's the one where the guy's head, like the guy's screaming. Yeah. They get his, they get his eye sockets and they pull, they pull his head apart from his neck. And then the, the can, the mechanical, the mouth's still moving. It sounds like he's still screaming, still moving. Yeah. He's still, well, it's cool how they do it. Cause like when his, when they actually get it far enough and they detach his neck from his shoulders, the voice, completely cracks because you could tell they've gotten into the vocal cords yeah and then it just stops yeah it was just like so good you yeah. know and just uh, and then when they get roads at the end um the uh they actually used real pig intestines that were fresh yeah for that scene yeah so, yeah um and that worked but then like uh just uh the the different points in dr frankenstein's lab like dr logan's lab like a lot of those that's what reminded me of reanimator other than him too mm-hmm. but you had like the head hooked up with the the electronics that was mouth was still moving and that looked really real and just and then also whenever uh she had to cut her boyfriend's arm off because it was infected just the way she brings that machete down and cuts into the arm like knowing that's all fake doesn't help me yeah. Like it's just because it's so like matter of fact. They do such a good job. It was of, so good. Yeah. It's like, and it makes me mad that why? Like I understand now that there's digital assisting, but we did this so good over twenty, almost thirty years ago. That, that should be advanced to the point where it's just like not even that's like, gonna, not even advanced. Like keep it like it's still. But I mean, assist you could, with you, that. You could get even further and getting more stuff that's more believable. You know. Oh my goodness! Like, um, I, I was going to mention just because I mean, obviously, Shaun of the Dead. I think kind of, kind of like was a love letter to all this, but I think mm-hmm. it also ruined every zombie movie going after that because it's like it did it so well. The bit where the boyfriend at the end gets pulled out of the Winchester yeah. and pulled apart. I mean, it's a direct homage to this, but it still that looked good too. That looked good. That caught you. That caught me so off guard too. That's because it's a, a comedy, and all of a sudden this kid just gets ripped apart. Right, and then the whole movie up until then it wasn't very gory at all. No, and you get that one shot of gore. But then I feel like that Romero did that too because like throughout the whole movie you get people that get bit, and you're just like, ooh, that looks painful, you know. And then like then you start to get the dismemberment stuff, and it's yeah. just like whoa. Yeah, and then so the, the third one too also dealt with the idea that. Um, even though the doctor was crazy, he had an idea that, well, we're living in this world now, which there's more of them than there are us. Mm-hmm. Let's not worry about curing them because that's not going to happen. How can we control them? 
and then there was Bub, which I like credit to Romero and credit to the actor, which I don't have his name here. I just had it written down as Bub. Um, he, you feel sympathy for him yeah. and it's like very weird because it's like, he doesn't stop being him. Like, it's just like you get the, but you see like how someone can show like recognition on their face, even though they're a zombie and it's not, yeah. it's not the same thing as like now where everything's like winking and knowing it's like, there was a, a real empathy coming out of that too. And how he actually, they're kind of like hinting at like, he's familiar with things he used to know. And they figured out that he had some type of military background. So then they give him a gun because that's a good idea. But like I, other than in, in, in Land of the Dead, where the one guy used a jackhammer, you, I didn't see another zombie ever use a gun like with with efficiency. Uh, Unless that was later on in Land of the Dead. There it was later on. Like they figured out how to do certain things. Okay. Um, I haven't watched Land of the Dead in a long time too. I just remember the one guy was a construction worker, so he picked up the jackhammer and busted the window into Fiddler's Green and got him in there. I saw yeah. that. I remember that. Um, but yeah, that was kind of interesting. I like that there's the juxtaposition of Bub chasing down um, Rhodes. Rhodes and shoots him, and then Rhodes is the one that's stumbling and shambling all around the hallway, mm-hmm. and Bub's just kind of just taking his time, fall, and it's like perfect, like, all right, like who who's who now, you know? Yeah. And it's like it was. I really dug that. I don't know if it, I'm sure it was intentional, but the way it was done was just so perfect. And then I found out later that the actor that played Bub, they had him reprise the role in season four of The Walking Dead. There's a bit where they're in this tunnel, and it's Bub that they they find. Really, it's like I mean, they don't say it, but he's dressed the same. It's the same actor, uh-huh. so he was in The Walking Dead. That's awesome. I think that's hilarious. Yeah. Um. And well, because also there's one of the, one of the guys. I think it was the guy that his head got chopped off that they had the wires running into. Mm-hmm. I think that's Greg. It, it, one of those guys is Greg Nicotero that assisted um, uh, Savini with doing the effects. That is, you know, you're right. Cause I read that story about now that you say that, cause I read the story about him because after he did that scene, he took the head home for like <laughs> Christmas or yeah. Thanksgiving and he scared the crap out of his mom. Like he played a prank on her yeah. cause he had the prosthetic head. And Nic- Nicotero is like one of the guys that's, you know, the masters behind the walking dead's like, you know, look, so mm-hmm. that's, I mean, you learn from the master, right? So yep. I think that's great. Um, yeah, it just, and then, and that movie also ends with like a hint of hope with like, like, like as married said it, like we're watching, she's like, Oh, that girl ended up with a nice gay couple on the beach. I was like, there was, it was never implied that these guys were together, but <laughs> the it's like Jamaican and the Irish. Gay guy. <laughs> it's like, like, I feel like, but it's like, okay, I can, I can see that. That's fine. Like I was like watching it and I'm like, why do they have to have accents? I'm like, I feel like, well, I know the guy playing the helicopter pilot picked a Jamaican one. He didn't have, there was nothing in the script saying it was Jamaican, Yeah, but he, he was like, well, we're in Florida. And he kind of wanted to bring something a little different because it would like why wouldn't it, you would have someone from from the islands nearby? Like I thought that was okay. Like yeah. that was you know. Um, but then McDermott, I'm like, why is this guy have an Irish accent? Yeah, I don't know. Um, but it just it. I credit to Romero. I, I even know some of his other movies. Like even even with these three, like there's still weird pacing. There's still weird editing. Well, I'd like um, to kind of see Argento's yeah. cut of dawn only because like watching romero's cut he cut like 13 minutes out of it too there's a lot of scenes that are just like like when the biker gang gets into the mall there's probably like five minutes of just people hooting and hollering on motorcycles it was completely unnecessary yeah and a lot of it's like like looped like it's the same yeah scene and i feel like he's just trying to fill some time um, and then there's a few other scenes that I, I, I you know, I was kind of just like, this doesn't make any sense. And sound editing, like when they're in the restaurant eating dinner together quietly, 
there's like a waterfall going on in the background and I don't understand why you can hear that water running the whole scene. <laughs> and it was bothering the crap out of me. I'm like, can we get that waterfall cut out of there and just so we could get just straight dialogue and it you'd be a little more yeah. intimate? Um, no, it, but I also like, I, I did like that they didn't draw attention to, but you saw how, how over time that stronghold got more and more furnished like a home. Like at first it was just a bunch of spam, which I also thought was funny that they found spam. It's like, you know, it's like, do you want to eat this? Like, no, it's like, well, the zombies are going to be eating us. Like you should eat the spam. It's almost the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like, it's basically like, you know, I I thought that was kind of funny. It's like, oh, we're going to be kind of cannibals eating spam. And then they slowly painted the place. They brought in a couch. They brought in a TV. It's like they made it into like the best dorm room ever over time. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of a nice showing of the passage of time too. But showing you that you got comfortable, you know, I thought that was I thought that was really interesting. Also, that people in 1978 were not worried about drinking alcohol while pregnant or smoking. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. That was yeah. Yeah, that was weird. Um, but even though I feel like he Romero has some rough edges as a filmmaker, um, it just, he does shoot he does shoot a lot of truth in terms of just letting things kind of just be right there and you got to deal with them, and I respect that, you know, and and and, and like. And even though later on, like Land of the Dead, Land of the Dead's okay. It's not great. It's okay. Um, I think uh, Dennis Hopper really makes that movie just awesome because he's yeah. just over the top. Um, and then like you know, Diary of the Dead's not great either. And, and people can say it's a, it's budget, but it's like it all it, you know, he's proven that he was able to make things without a budget. Um, I don't know where it kind of grounded out for him, but just you know, whatever. Like I even did you ever see the Crazies, like the original Crazies? No. It's kind of like a dry run for, um, like, like, it feels like it's a dry run for uh, Day of the Dead, but even though it might have come, or Dawn of the Dead, that might come after. It's like basically like a gas comes into the town and makes people crazy and they do weird things. It was really low budget. Mm. And it's not great. Good idea is not great. And there's a lot in these movies that are great ideas. And I just feel like, I, I don't know. They are what they are. You just got to appreciate them for what they are. They challenge you, they have interesting ideas. They're not perfect movies. But especially the last two of Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, highly rewatchable. I'm glad that I did. And it was interesting. And there's a lot to chew on, no pun intended, uh, thinking about like, because even, and not to drag on and on about this, but in the first movie, you still even had the the argument of what's safer. Is it the ground floor of this house that you can see everything out of or the basement? And they had this huge discussion between people in the basement, people in the top floor. And that became almost the question of like, What's the same for society? Like the one opening that you can control, but you don't know what's going on outside or you can see what's going on and have a chance of living. Like that's a very advanced idea. Mm-hmm. And then the second movie, it was like, is it better to wrap ourselves in our comforts and not venture out? Right. Or is it, you know, like to deal with the world as it is, yeah. you know? And then the third movie, it's like, there's nothing else left. What do we do now? You know, and it's just, I don't know. Like, this, like I said, interesting looks at the same and, and all of them just involve zombies. Yeah. So. I always say like and, and like these three movies are a testament to the zombies not being the primary antagonist. You know, it's it's always and you even feel sympathetic to the zombies in the third movie because they keep getting there's that salt mine that they're all kind of trapped in yeah. and they basically keep them back there like livestock and they bring them in just for specimens. Mm-hmm. So it's like you and there's the bit where there's this two chained up. And the guy just turns the light off on them, and they're like, "What just happened?" It was like it was like a bunch of just like well, they're kind of like animals, yeah. yeah they're like, when "Why?" They, when they herd him into that little thing, like the one zombie, she's like freaking out. She's like, she doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. So there's a lot more emotion with the zombies, and I think Romero really started to play with that, and that's why he continued to do other movies like Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead. Like he definitely wanted to play on like the evolution of you know how the zombies are looked at 
Um, but yeah, you're right. Like, it, I think it was funny just how, like, just the different, you know, and Bub being like so docile. And then you've got like the one zombie that's just like freaking out and he flips the table over and he's just like, you stay here and think about what yeah, you, what you did. did. Yeah. And he just turns the light off and walks away. <laughs> but yeah. It's, and then after he leaves that scene, actually, when they walk in the way as Bub, they actually play a little bit of gonk. I don't know if you noticed I, that. I read that in the trivia. I didn't hear it. I did. But the gonk, which we'll link uh, on the show on the show page on our Facebook page, it's the very familiar like sounds like German Oompa type music, mm-hmm. like Oompa band type of music. That's at the end of it's, it's done by chickens, but at the end of every robot chicken it's played at the end of Shaun of the dead. It's very, it, it's very Western Pennsylvania sounding. That's how I'll put it that way. And then at the very, since the way the movie Dawn of the dead ends with all these zombies are shuffling around the mall mm-hmm. and you hear this very upbeat music and it's just very, I, I mean, it's, it's purposely funny, but it's also like, crushingly sad at the same time where it's like because this music's supposed to be playing on a loop in the mall and i yeah i don't know i just i, I dug that but one one last bit of trivia when they were shooting at the mall they had to stop shooting at 6 a.m each morning because the music would come on mm-hmm. and they didn't know how to turn it off oh god so the mall didn't open until like 10 but the music came on at six so they had to stop shooting well i know they had to take down all the christmas decorations too yeah like that so they, they halted production I think three weeks in Cause December because they, they got t- they didn't want to take all the Christmas stuff down and try to and shoot put it around back it. up. Yeah, yeah, so they just waited. But yeah, I just um, worth watching if you've not seen them. Uh, not for the faint of heart. The gore is really intense, but it's it's if you appreciate good special effects like practical effects, none better. It's it's so good. Yeah, and I mean I mean keep in mind because it's like you know 1978, 1985. It's not going to be like like anything that you've seen probably in the last 10 years, but no. it, 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 it is still pretty, it still holds up pretty well. There's times when you can totally tell, like you're just like, Oh, that's just like some red paint running down a guy's forehead. But when they rip people apart, they do a really good job of making <laughs> that look real. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, enough about that. Um, I, you know, normally this is when we go into our game or like the, the Netflix wheel of death, um, so yeah, October we decide. I don't know how I decided that October would be Wheel of Death month, just because it's very scary. I guess yeah, it'd be I a guess. scary thing to watch a lot of movie, a uh, bad movies. Well, for it, just, it feels like this October. is the kind of month that you just want to watch a lot of movies. So we did do the Wheel of Death a couple weeks ago with Hellraiser Revelations, um, and then uh, here, here I want. I'll play this to separate everything because this this feels like we're going to spoil some stuff. Do you know why they are called spoilers? <laughs> So spoilers, Hellraiser, Hellraiser Revelations was terrible. Oh, um, so but bad. then, but then, then I challenged my friend Kevin, our, our friend Kevin of Radio Violenta, which they have a new episode up. They they had technical difficulties. Go check them out. They did a Halloween episode. I'm sure it's much spookier than ours. Probably more gore filled than ours too. Um, the challenge is to his own wheel of death, and you guys heard that last week. And he he erred on the side of bad movies, not like offensive movies, which I'm glad because I don't know after watching the, the Romero dead movies, it, I'm sure he has something way, way worse that he could have presented to me. And I wouldn't have eaten anything this week. I would have just been sick to my stomach. And that would have been that. However, we did the wheel of Kevin's wheel of death and we landed on, um, uh, the boneyard the boneyard. <laughs> we took the train, the, 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 the D train down to the boneyard. No. Um, so we watched the boneyard. Um, it was from 1991 uh, it, I don't, you know, I don't know how to describe this movie other than, um, it is, I guess it's, this, uh, this, this cop who's going to go find a psychic investigator who has assisted him previously on like some lost children cases. 
to help him with some case that's not quite clear what's going on other than that we know that there was a mortician who shot himself uh, because they found some uh, dead children in the basement of the mortuary where he was working at. And they, 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 they think that, that these kids were being fed dead body parts or body parts in general. So somehow um, they end up at this morgue called the Boneyard um, with Phyllis Diller working the night desk. Um, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And then hilarity ensues. Um, I, I don't know how else to describe it. I would, the, I don't know if I would say hilarity, but like, <laughs> but the, uh, the whole thing with the, um, the beginning, like when he's going to find, uh, um, like, you know, that psychic lady, like they, they just like, there's no context to what they're doing in no, this house. They're just showing this house and they're knocking on doors and they go into, <laughs> to a hoarder's house. Yeah. And then the, like the guy goes up to the top bedroom and then it's like this pajama pillow monster pops up. It's like the trash heap from Fraggle Rock starts moving from underneath these it, clothes. It was just really weird because, like, they're trying to, like, cover up the, the psychic and so you didn't know who she was. But it was just like, and then, like, a pillow fight ensues and there's just feathers going everywhere. And I'm just like, what is going on here? And then when, like, you find out that they, like, broke into the psychic's house and, like, one guy was like, hey, come come with us. And, and she's just like, no, I don't want to do any of that stuff anymore because I have bad dreams about dead kids. <laughs> And um, well, I should say right now that as we're watching it, I forced Mary to watch it. She's like this. She's like this lady. She's like looks like a younger, like really overweight version of Angela Lansbury from Murder She Wrote. Yeah. And so I started calling her. Then you guys can send your hate mail to me. I refer to her as Angela Salisbury the rest of the movie as we're watching this. <laughs> and I was like, and I, and I made a Murder She Bloat joke like a couple of times <laughs> we're watching the movie, and I felt bad because honestly, like. I don't think she was the right casting. I don't think anybody in this movie was the right casting, but I think it's a bold move to be like, we're going to not cast like, you know, we're going to cast a little bit against type because she's the hero of the movie. Mm-hmm. When she has to do action scenes, they're slow moving and not very effective. No, yeah. But it's like, that, that'd be like casting me as like the lead hero of a movie. Like you, I'm not your go-to. Like I get that, <laughs> you know? So that's kind of interesting. Right. But like the, the, the two castings that are confusing to me are Phil Stiller yeah. as the night, the night manager, Mrs. Poopenplatz was her name. And then, um, the one guy who worked in the morgue, um, I don't remember his name, but the actor's name is Norman fell. Mr. Roper from three's company. He was the one with the mustache and the ponytail, that kind of looked like Tommy Chong in the movie. Remember? Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, that's Mr. Roper. Like, I don't know how this movie got like famed comedian. I don't know how Phil Stiller. Yeah, I don't know how they and got then Mr. Phil Roper. Stiller. Yeah, yeah. So, and Phil Stiller, it's like when she's on the screen, like the, she's in a bad movie. But there's times where it's like you could tell that she's snapping off like decent, like Phil Stiller, like sass. She's definitely commanding in the movie. But yeah, and uh, so as it goes on. For whatever reason, oh, there's also the unexplained thing that happens where there's this young lady that shows up uh, dead. Supposedly she killed herself, and they're going to go do an autopsy. And the moment they put a scalpel to her neck, she wakes up. I didn't then, understand that. Either. And she had no connection to the evil that was going I on in the morgue. That it, I kept waiting for that to yeah. be a connection, and then it she's never just was. like, "Well, I tried to commit suicide and it didn't work." And then you guys woke <laughs> me up in the morgue, and I'm like, "What?" And now I'm okay. Yeah, like, I'm okay. I just, now I want to live. Um, but the, these, these, uh, the, the children reanimate or as they kept calling these, these Asian children, like the Oriental or they kept using the word Oriental a lot. And that was weird. That felt vaguely, that wasn't vaguely, that is racist. And it was odd. These little, little like zombie kids are running around. They're just like goopy little kids. Like they're just covered in slop. I don't know what, like the look right. of that. Um, like 
sometimes they kind of look like the kid from Trick or Treat with the mask off sometimes. And I don't know what they did other than if you if you somehow got the goop like in you, you would become a monster. But that wasn't really quite clear how that happened. No, either. yeah, because I remember I was watching it and like I think I texted you at the time and it was like there was a scene they got like Phyllis Diller down there and she's fighting with one of the zombie kids and it's got her scarf and it's pulling her like, oh, let's save her, save her. So like the kid's pulling her scarf and then it just like, I don't know, it grabs like a part of its head. And then, like, it just, like, puts it in her mouth. <laughs> and, like, she's got, like, this gravy all over her face or some kind of goop. And it looks like gravy. Yeah. And I was just like, oh. And then she's, like, trying to wash it out of her mouth and spit it out. And she's, like, throwing up in the wash basin, which yeah. is what I think is happening. Which gives me my one of my favorite moments of the movie is that even though she's in the middle of this horrible thing, she does raise her head up and, like, just gives, like, just, like, is being just. Like she gives someone, I forget what the line is, but she yells at somebody. It says something like, like a ridiculous insult to them. And it goes back to throwing up. And I was like, that's a great moment that she's like, I don't care if I'm dying. I'm going to say something stupid to you and go back to throwing up right. in the sink. Um, so yeah. then, then she turns into a monster. And, and I mean, in a literal sense, like a giant Jim Henson puppet <laughs> monster. So, <laughs> that made me so happy when I saw that. It was like, amazing. I saw it and I'm just like, like I told you, I'm like, how the hell did she get so tall? Like, yeah, it didn't. Because like, the kids didn't change size. No, yeah, but she t- changed size. She looked like some type of like monster ogre, and they kind of did a good job of trying to get her face and then like her um her hair. But she had these giant bug eyes, like these big cartoony white bug eyes. Do you remember the the um the video for Genesis for Land of Confusion where they had the, the political puppets Mm-mm. with like Ronald Reagan in the eighties and everything. You don't remember that? All right, never mind. Was, the, 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 her caricature of that puppet reminded me a lot of those eighties uh like political puppets they did. So I, I could see that. Definitely like an eighties puppet. <laughs> yeah. Like it was just crazy. So then that thing ran around and attacked everybody because she got uh Oriental gravy <laughs> in her mouth. And then um well, it should be noted, the guy who directed this, I looked this up, his name's James uh, Cummins. He did a lot of special effects work. Like, he worked on, not he wasn't, like, the main special effects guy for, like, Cocoon, uh, Enemy Mine, which is that movie with Louis Gossett Jr., yeah. um, and then Deep Star Six, if you remember that one. So he had, like, a background of doing sculpture and creature work. And this was like I guess is one of like one of three movies that he wrote and directed. I don't know what his dream was, but like to he's like you know I have this idea for a Phyllis Diller monster. I just need to get her into this movie. You know I want to believe that he made the monster first. Also, I didn't understand what was going on with that machine gun. Uh, yeah, like it didn't. It looked like it looked like a toy machine gun, and by a toy machine gun, I mean it had parts on it that didn't make any sense. No, it looked like it was something from Fallout 4 where it's like, right. let me slap some rebar on this and this yeah, machine gun. Like, and I now it has plus five to defense against Raiders. I'm like, what kind of model is that? Like, That is not a legitimate firearm that you could believe as a gun someone would have. I was like... They, I feel like they just like took an extra prop from a sci-fi movie and were like, this will work as a machine gun. So after they kill uh, the uh, monster Diller, um, she had the she had a poodle with her in the the, the movie. And I forget the name of the, the poodle, but whatever. Mm-hmm. So we go from these kids that didn't change size, but they're creepy and goopy, to Phyllis Diller becoming like eight foot tall and all bug eyed, and she died, and then the dog ate some of her like goo whatever remains yeah and they then, well they when they kill phyllis diller she like blows up and yeah then, and then the dog shows up later and it starts because dogs will eat anything so it <laughs> starts this, this dog becomes bigger than she was right then the dog a poodle becomes monster a poodle monster 
which is like the size of Phyllis Diller monster. So, yeah. but it's it's upright. It has hands now, and it still has the bow in its hair, which I thought was a nice touch. Yeah. And this thing is just a big angry poodle monster chasing down people, kind of because it can't move fast because it's just like a puppet. And I did not know that was coming, and that made me even happier. Like this movie's bad. It's not bad because I mean it's bad for a lot of reasons. Its biggest sin is that nothing goes on for a long time. Yeah, it's it's a lot of uh, talking and not doing anything. Like the the cop tells the whole backstory of the psychic to his partner. Uh, the one the one guy delivering the bodies talks about how the one guy went crazy and shot himself. Like you don't see anything; you just hear about everything. And so there's the, there's no tension in this movie. It just drags, and it's so you can tell it's low budget, total '90s low budget VHS direct to video. Like I, if my mom, I have a feeling we probably watched this movie as a kid. I don't even remember it, but the kind of the kind of cover art and the font would have been enough for my mom to rent it for me to watch and be like, oh, that was great with the portal monster. Um, so it's it, yeah. I feel like it. I feel like it was like probably a bad 45 minute episode of. Tales from the Crypt. I'm thinking like um, tell like Tales from the Dark Side or Monsters. Yeah. Do you remember Monsters? No, but Tales from the Dark Side too. But not a good episode. No, no. A bad episode. And and then like stretch it out and make it a movie, and then that's what this is. And do you? Okay, I meant to, I meant to record this. Um, oh, the end song. Did you hear the end song it played? No, I think I just shut it off after. The you didn't hear tape. the end song. Uh-uh. Shoot, um, it is the most. 80s power ballad inspirational song i'm going to find it and put it up on facebook because it has nothing it's like it's just almost it's like why why is chicago now playing at the end of this it was very like something you'd hear it over the top that was this very inspirational bit of music um that I'm, i'll find it and, and link it because it's just it makes no sense with the rest of the movie um I will say, Kevin, like, you know, God damn you for having us watch this movie, but I did challenge you to the wheel. However, I can't put it, I can't put it above Hellraiser as being. No, as bad. Like, the, no. like this movie was, was boring. But it had like, a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. Like, other than the, you didn't understand, it never made its rules clear about what happened with zombie goo. Right. Um, but you knew that there was a bad thing and people were trying to get out. Yep. And the, the story was told pretty much chronologically. Yep. And you you understood basically what was going on the entire time, and so it was a functional movie. You didn't have weird you didn't have weird things come in that didn't make sense. You didn't have other than the girl that killed that wanted to kill herself. Right, she she was just useless character. You you understood what her deal was though. I think she was like that sympathetic female character that you wanted to see the other cop get into a relationship with. Yeah, like that was it. But like you were just like, oh, we hope these two star-crossed lovers that just met survive. And I think if I looked, there is some trivia about this movie. I want to say those two characters, which I can't remember their names. Who cares? I think they did shoot them getting married at the very when they started shooting the movie. That was the first scene they shot, and they didn't put it in the movie. So mm-hmm. they were supposed to get together. Other bit of trivia here, real quick. I think this will this will tell you everything you need to know about this movie. Even though we just took some time talking about it, the VHS rental uh, came with two boxes. One promoting it as horror, and one as comedy, and the comedy box would slip over top of the horror box. So even the company making it was like, oh, whatever. How do you ever want to market? It's fine. Is it a comedy? Sure. Is it a horror movie? Sure. Just change the box. I think it's more of a horror movie. Like the 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 giant <clears throat> Phyllis Diller and the giant dog are definitely comedic, but at the same, like there's even a bit when the dog pops up and the the suicide girl like starts cracking up. <laughs> 
Cause she's, I don't remember that part. You remember that? Like, the dog's like, Err, and then, like, she just, she's just like, ha, 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 and then they're like, oh, and then they run. Like, you know, she just starts laughing because it looks so ridiculous. Well, and then Angela Salisbury at one point says, calls calls him a bad dog, you know, yeah. and that was that. And I also kept, I also had this whole backstory where she wasn't psychic, and she was just either a lunch lady or a gym teacher that had to get back to school. And I kept talking about how like she had to get back and, and she had to grab her mashed potato scoop and get back to serving. I don't understand why she had to be psychic. I feel like they could have used a different vehicle to explain the backstory of the Oriental kids. Yeah, it's just like because the whole thing, she had a flashback to see what happened. And yeah. it's like like the whole the only reason she ever used any psychic abilities was to go sit in a in a break room with a book and focus for like 10 minutes to get a vision from like, from like ancient Orient. Yeah. Ancient Orient. <laughs> Keep using the word Orient. Cause they use the word Orient. Oh yeah. And that's we, we, they, Hey, they said it, not us. Yeah. So, I know. kept saying Asian gravy and then Paul's like, no, it's Oriental gravy. I'm yeah. Like, oh, oh yeah. 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 No. Um, yeah. Anyway. So, so Kevin, thank you for the challenge. Yes. I feel like, there was probably like worse movies on your wheel to see. Like, I feel like the Exterminator City movie. I kind of want to see it now. <laughs> it's a sword fight. I yeah, wanna, like I, I kind of want to see sword that. Fight. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, like that. It was it was fun. Like I feel like I did it right this week where I watched that first, and then all three of the the, the dead movies in a see, row. I kind of did it the other way around because like I've been so consumed with the World Series. Um, like I sat down this afternoon and I watched. Uh, watch the dead movies and then i put on the boneyard and like i was sitting there like i went and got chipotle and i'm like it's time for lunch i gotta get something to eat so i'm sitting there eating my tacos and i'm watching this and i'm like, oh, like <laughs> these tacos taste worse now because of this movie well i feel like um and the reason why i got a semblance of enjoyment out of it it wasn't because of the movie itself it was because i forced mary to watch it with me mm -hmm. because if, if you're so, if there's someone there enduring the pain with you it makes it a more enjoyable experience because you can make the jokes, you can make the comments and have a little bit of fun with it. But the problem is even watching Hellraiser, we watched that together. I was like, is this goddamn thing over? Like I was so mad. And, and the production value on that is like a million times higher than the Boneyard. Like you could tell that like technology, shooting technology is leaves and bounds where this movie was when it came mm -hmm. out. Oh yeah. Yeah. But for some reason, the boneyards were competently made, and it I don't understand how that's it is, possible. It is more competently made. You know. So, yeah, Kevin, if you can uh, watch Hellraiser, yeah, that's my challenge to you: yeah. is watch Hellraiser Revelations. Ha <laughs> ha! There you go. There Take you go. that. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, have a have a safe and happy Halloween. Yep. Um, don't don't eat any um, apples with razors in them. Unless you're going, that's what you want to you're going to a Halloween party Saturday, right? Yes, I am. What did you get your costume settled out? No, no. Um, I. This whole year has been crazy, so I didn't have time or money to try to do a Halloween costume. Like, last year I did Rick from Rick and Morty, and everyone thought I was a clown, so that didn't go over so well. Um, I really wanted that to be a fun costume, too. I had fun making it, but everyone's like, oh, you're a clown. I'm like, I guess I'm a clown. I, I don't know. With a gun. I don't know. Like, this year I'd be beat up. Like, I'd be drug out in the streets and just beat to death. They'd be like, you're a clown with a gun. Like, yeah, that's appropriate, right? You know? <laughs> like, now, yeah. So, I, I was a year early on that. And then the year before that was my Dennis Nedry costume that I wore to Wizard World. And I feel like I feel like I could bust that out again because I, I looked at the invite list of this party. There's only a handful of people I know. So, I could be like, ha-ha, look at what I did this year. And people wouldn't know. There you go. Yeah. 
It's I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have any Halloween parties to go to. Well, um, I mean, there's baseball well, that night. No, I, well, yeah, there is baseball that night. Actually, no, I did get invited to a Halloween party. I'm sorry, but um, yeah, I'm going to the watch parties games on Friday and Saturday. You should dress up as a Cubs fan. No, why would I? <laughs> you should dress up as Steve Bartman. No. Yeah. Uh, I have. Well, I have my Taskmaster costume, which is hopefully going to be finished by Wizard World, so I can go to the co- the Comic Con in a costume. So. Oh, and also real quick, um, this Saturday, Carol and John's, they're having their Halloween like celebration. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have a costume contest, all that stuff too. Uh, they have really, really great deals on, on back issues and old, uh, an older um, graphic novel collections and everything too. So check that out. I'm probably gonna go dump some money there. Um, there might be some uh, editions of Saga, like the collected editions of Saga that I've not gotten yet. So I want to grab that. So check that out. Um, but yeah, in, in the meantime, have a safe Halloween. Eat a bunch of candy. Uh, prank a lot of kids. I, I don't know. Whatever you guys do on Halloween. So, but it's, uh, Halloween's a Sunday. So, I guess Halloween responsibly. I, or no, it's Monday. Halloween's a Monday, right? Is it a Monday? It's a Monday. Huh. Yeah. So, that's the greatest trick of all, going to work. So, all right. Anyway, uh, be safe. Um, that's it. Nothing else? No, nah, I got oh, okay. Tell two friends. Yeah. <laughs> tell two friends and beware, <laughs> beware of poodle monsters. <laughs>